This is Geeks and Jacks. And welcome back to Geeks and Jacks, episode 164. Recording October 5th, 2023. This is Trent so glad to have you here. Before getting into this episode, this podcast is on podcasters.spotify.com. You can also find this on Radio Public and Google Podcasts. So head on down those places, search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content awaits. So definitely got some stuff to look at for this, including MLB playoffs. And the first round is already over <laughs> as of this recording. So yeah, talk about talk about a few movie related stuff, a couple gaming related things, including uh, potential shutdowns of online, a console at thirty years old, and one of the weirder TV things that I didn't know about until recently. So with that being said, let's jump into it and head straight to the movies. Going to ye old box office mojo. There were a few new releases coming out last week and there were some interesting numbers to say the least. Man. Three movies all brand new in the top three. Starting with Paw Patrol, the mighty movie, which made $22.7 million at the box office this past weekend. And the numbers as of Tuesday the 3rd, 25.3 domestic and 24.4 internationally, nearing $50 million. I had a look at the budget recently, and it is a $30 million budget, so pretty obvious this is going to be a profitable movie for Paramount and Nickelodeon. At least that's how I see it. it I didn't know that the, mo- not the movie, the show was 10 years old. I thought it was like a more recent type of show like that was made within the last five to six years. But here's one that has been a pretty old franchise that made a good return. Saw X. 18.3 million. And where it is right now, 21.9 million domestic and 11.3 million internationally for 33 million. I do think this was a pretty cheap budget too. I want to say less than 20 million. Number three, the creator at fourteen million. This movie has John David Washington in it, I believe, and has made thirty five million so far worldwide, sixteen point nine domestic and eighteen point three internationally. Had a look at that budget too, I believe it was around eighty million, I wanna say. I'm going to take a brief look. 
the creator uh, budget. 80 million. Y yeah. I mean, it's not bad, but not great either. So, yeah. But then the number drops a bit. So, the Nun 2 is number 4 at 4.7 million. Obviously, this has been out for quite a while. Holy moly. I think this opened up in several markets internationally, because I don't remember the numbers being that high. 77.8 domestic, 155.8 million internationally, 233.6 worldwide. That is insane. Hugely insane. Another new movie that came out this past weekend, The Blind at number 5, 4.3 million. About 6.3 million right now. The Blind. Is this something about some guy, Phil Robertson? I'm kind of curious about it. Oh, this is this is Duck Dynasty. The Duck Dynasty guy. Okay. Okay. That's that's interesting. Now, that's weird. I didn't hear about any of that. Okay, that is that is interesting. No, seriously, I I wouldn't have thought. I, I would have thought this was like some sort of maybe like a suspenseful film or something, but no, a drama, like a family. I'm not sure if they could call it a biopic, but number six, A Haunting in Venice, three point six million over the weekend. It's already made past its budget worldwide at ninety million. 32.2 domestic and 58.5 internationally. Probably still needs to do a little more in order to have any sort of profit. Number seven, Dumb Money. I believe this expanded in the theaters this past weekend. People are liking it to the best of my knowledge, but only 3.3 million over the weekend. And so far it's made 7.8 domestic and 792,000 internationally. It's nearing 9 million. I need to see if maybe reviews because a lot of people it, it's it's liked I mean, it's liked enough, and it's got a 
decent number of, you know, well-known people. Paul Dano, Shailene Woodley, Pete Davidson, Seth Rogen, America Ferrera. $30 million budget, so at least this won't be a complete failure for Sony. I was thinking this would have been something like an Adam McKay movie, like what he did with The Big Short back in 2015. But yeah, safe to say that probably a big failure. Number 8, The Equalizer 3, 2.7. Kind of surprised that the numbers are still pretty decent for for this film. 86.5 domestic and 72.4 internationally, nearing $160 million altogether. Number 9, Expendables. The Expendables 4, 2.5 million. Yeah. Not even at 25% of its budget. 13.8 million. 9.2 million internationally. I mean, people just, you know, they just weren't interested. And rounding out the top 10, Barbie. I think it's, yeah, dropped half its theaters. So that's not too surprising. But still, 1.4 million, the fact it's still clinging on. 633.3 domestic and just eclipsed 800 million internationally. So let's take a look and see what's on the horizon because definitely going to see some horror films up the butt. There is a limited release coming out today, Mother Teresa and Me. A lot of limited releases Friday. Cat Person, She Came to Me, Miranda's Victim, Killers of the Flower Moon, Dr. Shayon, The Lost Talisman, Dicks the Musical. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, uh, I think I looked at the description last week. <laughs> Yeah, I think I've seen. Oh, I I because it says it's got the director of, of Borat, so they managed to get Larry Charles to 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 be involved. Directed by <laughs> directed by Larry Charles, based on the off-Broadway musical. I effing identical twins <laughs> I mean it's well liked right now from A24 Megan the Stallion's in it <laughs> Nathan Lane of all people Megan Mullally who else uh but the two people that are involved in it uh, that came up with the Broadway musical, Josh Sharp and Aaron Jackson are in it. 
So, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. It actually seems kind of interesting. And Larry Charles is pretty eccentric. So you know what kind of vision he might have. Even if he didn't write it. He has a directing vision in a way. It almost makes you wonder if he could have directed a Seinfeld episode instead of Tom Sharon's. Uh, other limited releases include Mercy Road, When Evil Lurks, and Country of Blind. The big wide release is The Exorcist Believer. I'm seeing a fair share of advertisements for that film. And so... I'd like to imagine this will probably do well in the theater. Uh, I'm not interested in those type of films. Although I do know that I think the first one, the very first one, came out in 73, I want to say. There is House of Thousand Corpses coming out on Sunday a limited release of the 20th anniversary and only one other movie prior to next Friday What Rhymes With Reason now that either sounds like a kids film or a tragedy ignites a group of teens on a quest to find a legendary landmark hidden in the wilderness so I think this is going to be a suspenseful nope, a drama Just, just what it looks like and I was look, looking at this poster. Almost looks like something you'd see out of like maybe like a suspenseful type of film. And there's not a lot out in the theater for next week. Be curious to see how that is next week because it's there's a the Eras tour Taylor Swift. Definitely will be talking more about her a little bit in regards to the NFL because they the NFL is just gaga over her at the moment. And there's been some stuff floating around with the Snow White movie that's supposed to come out at some point, I think next year for Disney. And I think people are misinterpreting something out of its main lead, Rachel Zegler. Basically, some some rumor floating around that she got fired. She got fired from the film. Which makes not a lick of sense whatsoever. I really don't think Disney I don't think Disney would go out of their way to to do that I think this had something along the lines I was listening to some stuff regarding her being let go from Paddington 3 that that bear film I think surprised people what like what seven years ago Maybe a little longer than that. They've made they made a second one, I think, a couple of years ago. I want to say. I don't remember, but I think this all ties into this sort of controversy going on 
with the film, and I know people are getting tired of remakes, but the whole thing with with Snow White is them wanting them changing the whole the whole film into a different type of film, and yeah, the point of why have it the same name if you're going a completely different route and something about her like being you know having her mouth open all the time and just spouting off a bunch of nonsense if I was Disney I would try to keep her in line because I mean they didn't do all that well with Little Mermaid despite making over 500 million but with a really expensive budget. I heard the, the this newest film is going to cost quite a bit, so they can't afford to lose money in Disney. Which makes me wonder, going directly for television now, the only thing that comes to my mind for television is their deal with Charter Communications and a couple other things. My thought is not knowing that this happened. I was unaware of Disney doing that and until recently because don't get Freeform, don't get uh, FXX, which, man, a few other channels that I don't really care about, but still it's a it's a loss for anyone that uses something like spectrum seriously but also one of the other things going on is potentially what could be sold at disney there's a guy that put in potentially a 10 million dollar not 10 million 10 billion dollar bid for I don't know if it was ABC or a lot of the Disney stuff. ABC, Freeform, FX, and all that. Because Disney is hurting right now. Disney, I would say, over the last couple of years, have been struggling mightily. In terms of critical success and commercial success. And I think at this point they're they're trying to cut as much fat as they can and try to stop any of this severe bleeding that is going on with with lack of interest in them. A lot of their movies this year have been failures. Television wise, Disney Plus is not doing anything grand. And one of the people involved in trying to bid on getting ABC is involved with something like CW, which is such a small, small primetime channel. Just recently, CW just finished up their run of Riverdale, which I think is based on Archie, Com- like Archie, I think it's called. I don't I don't really read comics so I can't really comment on that. 
but I know they had a bunch of comic book related stuff and only in the last couple of years has a lot of it stopped and ended their runs. It would certainly, I think, give a boost a bit to to CW to have something like ABC and to dig into the wealth of TV shows that have aired on there. Or at least the ones that are currently on the air in production and whatnot. With that said, I'm trying to think of like what they could get rid of. There's I just I don't see a scenario where Disney gives up on ABC. I don't see a scenario where they give up on ESPN either, despite all the cuts. I just don't see it. I think Freeform would definitely, definitely be the first casualty. And the reason why I say that is because they don't have a lot of stuff on. It's movies and a handful of TV shows. And it's the same TV shows that have been played to death on other channels. And that includes The Simpsons, Family Guy, although that's more relegated to Friday from... Fridays from noon to maybe 11pm midnight depending on how Freeform is The Office I want to say blackish and grownish I can't think of the last time they had an original show but obviously they have a ton of movies, a lot of Disney stuff that is stuck there that Disney has an iron grip on to keep from being on other channels and a few other things. FX, I I don't see them giving up on FX and definitely not FXX. FXX is the only place where you can get The Simpsons on cable for the, like, extensively, like, every day. And same thing with King of the Hill for the most part outside of Adult Swim. And a couple other like Family Guy, Cleveland Show. It, it, I'm trying to think of like what else that could be lost. I can't really think of anything else. That's all I could think of. But yeah, it, I don't I don't see... Disney giving up on everything. I'll be surprised if they do. I could see them getting rid of a few things, but not all. I think it would be crazy if they got rid of some of their stuff. Like, got rid of all of it. But hey, it's their call. I mean, if they want to give it to, like, Nexstar or the guy in charge of of CW and whatnot. I, I had a look at the name recently, and it was some guy that that's worked on a number of judge shows. So, take it as you will. Jumping into sports. Now, if you were to tell me the Detroit Lions would have a tough matchup, I would say Absolutely. But week four began with them getting first place. 
three and one now with a thirty-four to twenty victory over Green Bay in Lambeau Field, a place where they've historically struggled. As far as looking at the Lions, they ran the ball. David Montgomery ran for one twenty-one and three scores. Jared Goff threw two ten, one score and a pick. Looking at the numbers, Josh Reynolds led the way in receiving 69 yards. Mont St. Brown had the touchdown. And even, even Montgomery got a couple catches himself. As far as Jordan Love goes, 246, one touchdown, two picks. The run game, even with Aaron Jones back, atrocious. Jones, 18 yards rushing, and Love did run for a score. Romeo Daubs, nine catches for 95. That led all receiving. And the rest, not really anything to get too excited about, though. Christian Watson, two for 25, touchdown. Pretty much a solid game by the defense of Detroit. So then we got London games. Jacksonville. And they are in London again this week. Facing Buffalo. 23-7 victory over Atlanta. Both teams 2-2 two two now for the year. Desmond Ritter. Not a good game. 191. One score. Two picks. John Robinson ran for 105. And leading the way was Jonu Smith, 95 yards. The next closest was Robinson, 5 for 32. Drake London had the only touchdown catch. Trevor Lawrence, not a good game, but not horrible. 207, one score, one pick. Travis Etienne, 55 yards on 20 carries. Christian Kirk led the way, 8 for 84. Tell you what, the number of catches Evan Ingram's having is crazy from a fantasy perspective like if you had a points per reception thing pretty good Calvin Ridley one touchdown out of that entire bunch one of them picks did involve a pick six clean game as far as Jacksonville goes three turnovers by Atlanta so, L.A. Rams, they're a 2-2 two two team, and it's hard to tell when they can be really good and really bad. A 29-23 victory in overtime, and allowing the Colts to climb back into the game, forcing overtime. Matthew Stafford, 319, one score, one pick. Kyron Williams, 103 and two scores. The Nakua guy, Puka Nakua, having a monster month of the season to begin his career. 9 for 163 and a score. Tyler Higby, the next closest, 5 for 64. Now, Anthony Richardson did not have a good game accuracy-wise. And it would be 44%. 200 yards, two touchdowns. Zach Moss ran for 70. Richardson ran for 56 and a score. 
Alec Ogletree, I think his name is. No, Aunt, think of someone else, sorry. Andrew Ogletree. 3 for 48 in a score. Moali Cox. Had one catch, but it was a touchdown for 35 yards. So that should give you a good idea. Mostly clean game. Fumble by the Colts. Interception by the Rams. Two and two teams. Baltimore having a field day. 28-3 victory over Cleveland. 3-1 and one for the year now. Baltimore. Browns 2-2. Two and two. They were playing without Deshaun Watson, so that kind of gives you an idea of what happened. Lamar Jackson had a big game. 186, two scores, and he also ran for two scores on 27 yards. Gus Edwards led the way, 48 yards. They have Melvin Gordon, Justice Hill, but they didn't get too many carries. Mark Andrews, 80 yards and two scores. That led all receiving for the Ravens. So this guy, Dorian Thompson Robinson, DTR. 121, barely above 50% completion, three interceptions. Pierre Strong Jr. led the way in rushing, 49 yards. Jerome Ford next closest at 26. David Njoku led all receiving, 46 yards. See if they fumbled the ball at any point. Nope, just interceptions. Only turnover in the game by Baltimore was a fumble. 21-13, the Vikings get their first win of the year. Panthers dropped to 0-4 for the year. As far as the Vikes go, Kirk Cousins... It's a weird stat line. 139, two scores, two picks. 12 for 19. Alexander Mattinson, he's picking up now. 95 yards that led all rushing. And Cam Akers actually ran for 40 himself. His first game as a Viking. Justin Jefferson, the only strong receiver of the bunch. 85 yards, two touchdowns. Bryce Young back in action, 204, no scores, no picks. Chuba Hubbard led the way, 41 yards. Miles Sanders had 19 yards on 13 carries. Adam Thielen leading the way, 7 for 76. Have to see if there's just a fumble by the by the Panthers as their only turnover of the game. Tennessee Titans. 2-2 two two now for the year with a 27-3 victory over Cincinnati. The Bengals 1-3 now for the year. Joe Burrow, not a good game. 165, no touchdowns, but no picks either. Joe Mixon led the way in rushing, 67 yards. Jamar Chase led receiving with 73 yards. Next closest with 20... 26 by Tyler Boyd. Now we got a weird 
game to look at a little bit here with Tennessee because Ryan Tannehill, 240, one score, one pick. Derrick Henry threw the ball for a touchdown, two yards. <laughs> I believe he has done this a couple times already with Tennessee. And Derrick Henry had a good game too, 122 rushing and a score. DeAndre Hopkins led the way in receiving with 63 yards. Nick Westbrook, Ikiney, had a touchdown, and so did Josh Wild. Looking at the stat line, one turnover on each side, and just dominant performance by Tennessee. So Tampa Bay. Pretty good start to the season. 26-9 win over New Orleans. 3-1 and one for the year. The Bucks and the Saints, 2-2. Two and two. Baker Mayfield, really good game. 246, three scores and a pick. Chris Godwin did try to throw the ball. <laughs> Rashad White led the receipt, led the rushing with 56 yards. Godwin, pretty good receiving game. Eight catches, 114. Devin Tompkins had a touchdown in the game. Mike Evans did get hurt in the game as well. Kate Otten, I think that's how you say it. Yep, Kate Otten had a touchdown, and so did Trey Palmer. I was stunned that Derek Carr even played. He had a shoulder issue in the last game. 127, no score, no picks. Jameis Winston did play, and he did throw an interception. (laughs) Alvin Kamara, his first game back from suspension. 51 yards, that was all in rushing. Michael Thomas led in receiving 53 yards. Kamara had 13 catches, but it was 33 (laughs) yards. Oh my goodness. And a pretty sloppy game offensively for the Saints. Two fumbles and the interception. Now, 70-20 to was the Miami Dolphins' win against the, that's the uh, Denver. They scored 20 points in their game against Buffalo and lost 48-20. to Both teams now 3-1 and one for the year. And it was a close game initially, and then the turnovers came. Man. Tua Tugaviola, 282, one score, one pick. 8-chan, he ran for 100-plus yards and two two scores. Raheem Mostert did get the ball, and he was the source of the decline of that game for the Dolphins. Tyreek Hill led all receiving, 58 yards. And I believe it Braxton Berrios, he had the touchdown from Tugaviola. Is Josh Allen back, though, for Buffalo? 320, four touchdowns. Latavius Murray led rushing, led the rushing with 32 yards. James Cook had a touchdown, and Allen ran for a score himself. Stephon Diggs had a huge game, 120 and three scores. 
Gabe Davis had the other touchdown. It's hard to tell whether this team will make a deep run in the playoffs if it comes down to it. And hopefully this isn't the decline of Miami. But I hope it knocks some sense into them for the most part. Denver gets their first win of the year, a 31-28 to victory over Chicago. 1-3 Denver and 0-4 Chicago. Big, big comeback for, for the Broncos. Russell Wilson had a pretty good game, and he's built up a decent, decent year so far. I want to look at his stats for the most part because he's put up an okay year. 1,000-plus yards, 9 touchdowns, 2 picks. He's not too far from his touchdown totals from, from last year. He threw 16, so he's a little more than halfway there. I don't know if the problem is him necessarily or the the run game, which hasn't been all that good. Uh, I mean, this McLaughlin guy led the rushing with 72 yards. Jerry Judy led receiving with 52, but McLaughlin had a touchdown. Cortland Sutton had a touchdown. And this guy, Brandon Johnson, got a touchdown. You know, the sad thing is, Justin Fields had a really good game throwing-wise. 335, four touchdowns and a pick. Khalil Herbert ran for over 100 yards. DJ Moore had a really good game, 131 in the score. Cole Komet, 85 and two scores. Herbert had a receiving touchdown. Like It's crazy how this team... Did so well and then collapsed in the end. Denver played a clean game offensively, so that should give you a good indicator. You know, hopefully it's a step in the right direction for Denver and they can ride that ship and lead the way. I don't think Philadelphia, despite being four and oh, is as good as advertised. I'm not confident, especially with them needing overtime to win. Washington forcing it. A 34-31 victory for Philly. The Commanders are now 2-2 two two for the year. Sam Howell threw for 290 and a score. Brian Robinson, 45 yards, but he found the end zone. Terry McLaurin, 86 yards receiving. That led all receiving. John Dotson, had a touchdown. Jalen Hurts, 319, two scores. Okay, that's not as bad as I thought, but maybe it's just me, but I feel like I'm kind of wanting to expect more out of out of Hurts. DeAndre Swift, 56 and a score. A.J. Brown had a really good game, 175 and two scores. The 175 led all the way. I think it's home run or bust with Brown and Devontae Smith. The rest of these guys, they're just... I don't know if there's just... there's 
Hertz doesn't have confidence in them, or if they focus more on these guys like Dallas Goddard, Swift, and, and a couple others. Pretty clean game all around, too, from both sides, which is kind of surprising. You'd think there probably would have been a pick by by Washington. Man, Houston Texans two and two now for the year, beating the two and two Steelers thirty to six. Kenny Pickett not a good game, one fourteen, no touchdowns and a pick. Mitch Trubisky did play, and I believe it's a pretty bad knee injury for Pickett. Najee Harris led with seventy one yards rushing, and he led receiving and. With 32. Next closest was Jalen Warren. 26 yards. Nothing looked good for Pittsburgh. C.J. Stroud. 306. Two scores despite a little over 50% completion rate. And even Devin Singletary threw a touchdown. Damian Pierce. 81 yards rushing. Nico Collins, 168 and two scores. The best of the bunch. The next closest was Dalton Schultz, 42 yards and a score. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good game defensively for for Houston. Clean game too offensively. I'm not sure if they'll be strong enough to be a playoff team this year, but hopefully next year or two years from now people can be proud of the Texans. After that week one, three in a row for the Raiders in losses. 24-17 victory for the LA Chargers. Aiden O'Connell he took over in place of Jimmy Garoppolo. 238, no scores and one pick. Josh Jacobs, 58 yards. He did find the end zone for for score. O'Connell did run for a score as well. And whoo-wee, eight catches each, uh, Jacobs and Adams, 81 and 75 respectively. That was the best of the bunch. Justin Herbert, not a strong game. 167, one score, one pick, but he did run for two scores. So that kind of evens it out a bit. But Josh Kelly, Joshua Kelly, uh, 65 yards. That led all rushing. And Joshua Palmer, 77 yards. That led all receiving. The touchdown was for Keenan Allen. Charger defense doing its job, forcing three turnovers and sacking the Raiders quite a bit. 49ers continuing their dominance. 35-16 victory, 4-0 now for the year against a 1-3 Cardinals team. The sad thing is, Josh Dobbs, 265, two scores, no picks. He's playing better than you think, and I I would think Arizona would stick with him instead of Kyler Murray. James Conner, 52 yards rushing. That led all rushing for the team. 
Michael Wilson had two touchdowns on 76 yards, but leading all receiving was Marquise Brown at 96. Actually, Zach Ertz had a decent game, too. Six for 53. Very interesting to see how him and his wife do as a couple, considering that his wife recently retired from from uh, women's soccer to focus on motherhood and a few other things. Brock Purdy. Only one incompletion. 20 for 21. 283 in a score, but the highlight was Christian McCaffrey. 106 yards, three touchdowns. Purdy did run for a score, too. Brandon Ayuk, 148. That led all receiving, but McCaffrey, 7 for 71 in a score. There's some questions floating around on whether or not he might be an MVP for this year. Considering how often quarterbacks are often given it, the last time there has been a non-QB, I think was a running back, Adrian Peterson in 2012. Now, I don't know what's going on over in Belichick land, but 1-3 now, the Pats getting stomped 38-3 by Dallas, who is now 3-1 and one for the year. Mac Jones, bad game. 150, no touchdowns, two picks. Bailey Zapp took over at one point. Ron J. Stevenson, 30 yards rushing. Ezekiel Elliott, his first game back in Dallas since being released, 16 yards. Hunter Henry led receiving with 51 yards. Dak Prescott, 261 in the score. The run game... Tony Pollard, 47 yards. Although this uh, Hunter Lipke fullback. When's the last time you heard of a fullback scoring a touchdown? (laughs) Uh, Leading all receiving for the Cowboys. Jake Ferguson. Although C.D. Lamb had the receiving touchdown. Not too bad, and forcing three turnovers, especially considering this is without Trayvon Diggs. That's pretty telling. Now, the Sunday night game, Kansas City Chiefs, New York Jets, 3-1 and Chiefs now, 23-20 win. They did let the Jets come back, but in the end scored a game-winning field goal. Jets now 1-3 for the year. Now, Pat Mahomes had a pretty mediocre game. 203, one touchdown, two picks. Isaiah Pacheco had a really good game, 115 in the score. Travis Kelsey led all receiving, 60 yards. Although, Noah Gray, he had the touchdown from Mahomes. There was definitely a lot of talk about the Jets and... Zach Wilson had a really good game. 245, two scores. Brees Hall, 56 yards rushing. That led all running backs. Alan Lazard, 61 yards in a score. Garrett Wilson, 60 yards on nine catches. Although the big controversy 
came in the form of a, a, like a holding call or like a pass interference call on on Sauce Gardner with Robert Sala blowing up on referees for it. And it's opened up a, a can of worms again on the bias towards Mahomes and the, the Chiefs for the most part. Right now, there's a lot of, like I said earlier, the whole thing with Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. A lot of people being in love with with those two and the Chiefs and Mahomes. Concerning it is Sunday night, I wouldn't be surprised if Collinsworth, Chris Collinsworth was was drooling so badly over the Chiefs like he has been over the last couple of years. I think the NFL is deeply invested in seeing the Chiefs go all the way again. And I think people don't want a repeat of what happened with seeing how it was with New England and Brady and all that. It, it, it definitely brings up the point that I'll talk about with baseball in a little bit in what's going on there with an arbitration uh, court thing going on, but it just tells you just how much it, I, I wouldn't be surprised if people think the NFL is rigged. It wouldn't surprise me. And the last game of the year, well, of the week, Seattle Seahawks, New York Giants, 24-3 Seahawks at 3-1 and one now for the year, 1-3 New York. The sad thing is, they didn't do much. Smith, Geno Smith, 110 in the score. Drew Locke actually played, which is surprising. Kenneth Walker, 79 in the score. Noah Fant led receiving with 63. DK Metcalf had the touchdown. Jones, uh, 203, two picks. 66 yards rushing, he led the way. The next closest was Matt Breida with 30 yards. And he actually did lead the the receiving with 48 yards. Yeah, you're hoping hoping for Barkley to come back. So, yeah. Still a lot of stuff to look at for the season for a lot of teams. I'm not sure any division is wide open for the most part. A lot can happen. But I think the next couple weeks we'll see if gaps widen. I think they will for potentially the NFC West and East. I would say AFC... I would say AFC East... And that might be it. It's hard to tell with other stuff. So MLB has had the playoffs for the last day or two. And already the wild card series is over. It's already over. 
we had the Arizona Diamondbacks that won pretty convincingly against the Milwaukee Brewers, and now they're on their way to L.A. to face the Dodgers this weekend. The Texas Rangers, who kind of struggled here and there, beat up on a pretty strong Tampa Bay Rays team. Pretty much only allowed one run in both games. So now they're going to Baltimore. The Philadelphia Phillies had the same scoring type of thing. Both Rangers and Phillies scored four and seven runs respectively. But they only gave up one run each, uh, the Phillies, beating the Miami Marlins. So now they have a date with the Atlanta Braves. But probably the biggest thing that I saw, the Minnesota Twins, tight ball games, but they won for the first time since 2004. Think about it. Think about it greatly. 2004, Game 1 of the ALDS. That was the last time they won a playoff game, beating the New York Yankees. And then they lost that division series. They lost in 06, they lost in 09, they lost, what, 2010, I want to say. They had a pretty good lead in 2017, only to lose to the Yankees. They got swept by the Yankees a couple times, too. I think they've lost the Athletics, the Tigers, the Astros, I want to say, too. And actually, they're facing the Astros in this uh, divisional round. But the fact that they won playoff games, that is crazy. <laughs> and I think it's the first time they've won a series since what, the early 2000s, if not 91, I want to (laughs) say. What a time to live in. Seriously. Crazy to see that happen. And I'll talk about what I was just saying in regards to an arbitration thing. And that is Bryce Harper. Now, Harper definitely has a temper that's been noticed throughout his 12 years, 12 seasons in MLB. With that said, he is going to arbitration court against Angel Hernandez. And I'm sure hearing that name would probably make your blood boil. Seriously. So this all has to do with a bad call at the plate. Harper losing his cool and throwing his helmet into into the stands. And the funny thing with that that I read is that it was a 10-year-old that got it and Harper even signed the, the, the thing. So, yeah. Kid gets a souvenir. <laughs> uh, even if if it wasn't donated the properly. Um, MLB did fine 
Harper $5,000 and the way I look at it in this situation is that it's not a matter of the money being the problem but the principle and I think this goes back to over the years of Angel Hernandez being one of the absolute worst in MLB bar none probably the worst umpire in all of the majors and he was rated as the worst and he 10 games behind the plate on average 16 missed or bad calls and this guy keeps complaining that he don't get playoff assignments and he thinks that oh they're being racist because he's Cuban. And he sued MLB in the past. He's tried suing Joe Torre. All I have to say on this is that this this guy sucks. We're not too far away from five years since since his bad game at first base of the Yankees Red Sox. ALDS game. Seriously, five years removed from that around this time. And there's there's nothing discriminatory towards him. He's just a bad umpire, period. And rule of thumb, if you know the full name of an umpire, usually and typically, but not always... They're bad. It's their names are for bad reasons. I think this all has to do with probably how players have felt regards to the bad umpiring, the fact that umpires and really when you think about it, a lot of referees across all sports, they 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 don't get held accountable and I think that's one of the bigger problems with MLB. They don't hold him accountable, probably in fear of the umpires union. Umpire union or not, this this is bad. And this is probably why some people are going to be happy for robot umpires in a couple of years. I mean, regardless of whether he wins or loses, it might convince other players to fight back against MLB and how bad these umps are. That's what I think it'll ultimately come down to. And where I stand with the playoffs, I honestly think I honestly think Baltimore's gonna win it all. I think we're gonna see a Baltimore Atlanta World Series. Barring any upsets, obviously. And moving, lastly, to NASCAR. Oops. Pretty crazy Talladega race. And Ryan Blaney winning it. The top ten as follows. William Byron second. Denny Hamlin third. Corey LaJoy, a pretty good fourth place finish. Austin Cindric 5th, Justin Haley 6th, Chase Elliott 7th, Ryan Priest 8th, uh, I gotta look at this one name that for ninth place, Riley Herbst, 
And rounding out the top 10, Daniel Suarez. Other notables include Ty Gilliland, 12th, Chase Briscoe, 13th, Chris Bell, 14th, Kyle Larson, 15th, Tyler Reddick, 16th, Eric Amarola, 17th, Martin Truex Jr., 18th, Chris Buescher, 19th, A.J. Allmendinger, 20th, Michael McDowell, 21st, Ricky Stanhouse, 22nd, Bubba Wallace, 23rd, Joey Logano, 24th, Kyle Busch, 25th, Eric Jones, 26th, Alex Bowman, 28th, Harrison Burton, 31st, Brad Keselowski, 32nd, Austin Dillon, 33rd, Ty Gibbs, 34th, Ross Chastain, 37th, and a disqualification from Kevin Harvick. I want to... I want to see that. Harvick disqualified. Cheating. Wow. Race conditions. This is from AP News. I'm going to look this up. Wow. And this is his final year. It'll not appeal despite claims from the crew chiefs that cheating did not cause their loose windshield. First time since 1972. Oh, photo finish. So, the windshield fasteners on the number four were not secure. That, I don't get it. I mean, is it really as big a deal as lug nuts or something? I don't know, that's just weird. Really weird. Oh, man. So, let's look at the NASCAR standings because we're not too far from the next elimination. Byron is leading the way in points. Hamlin second. Bell third. Blaney fourth. Busher fifth. Truex sixth. Larson seventh. And Keselowski eighth. Reddick is not too far behind in same with Bubba Wallace and Chastain. Kyle Bush is the furthest behind. Kyle needs a win just to even stay in the round of eight. Whew. And moving lastly to games, not a whole lot to talk about. Uh, One of the bigger things is Nintendo 3DS Online. It is looking to be shut down pretty soon. And this is also going to include the Wii U as well. This was... Part of a thing that Nintendo brought up. 
and one of the bigger things going on. A few things that are going to be operating for the time being. <laughs> Pokemon Bank. And a few other things. According to the website, The Verge, and probably a few others. I'm not stunned at this happening, although six months ahead of time. I mean, that's kind of sudden, all things considered. Although, to be fair, the eShops and virtual consoles have been shut down since the end of March of this year, so... Honestly... I don't know how many people really go out of their way to use online for the 3DS, or even the Wii U for that matter, outside of doing some Mario Kart or Smash Brothers or whatever. Or maybe like a role-playing game or... I don't know. It's... It's hard to tell. And the last thing I'll end on is a system called the 3DO. Now, why am I talking about this? Because it's a system that just turned 30 years old. And this was one of the very first 32-bit systems that really kicked off the, the new generation of gaming. It's a, a weird system to talk about because the company formed in 1991 by Trip Hawkins and he was the guy that founded Electronic Arts in 1982 and if you have a good look at the 3DO it had quite a bit of EA games it had some original stuff like Escape from Monster Manor some of the old Genesis and PC games got onto there I want to say Wing Commander, uh, Road Rash, John Madden, PGA Tour, even new franchises got onto here, like Need for Speed. I wouldn't be surprised if Hawkins convinced people at EA to try for this system. There are three different variations, and it was meant to push the industry forward with. CD content, music, video, gaming. It was meant to be many things. Kind of like a, like a, like a multi-purpose CD player. Although, probably more advanced than your typical stereo of the time. The only thing that I could think of that was close to it for that time was the Philips CDI, although 3DO's focus on being mostly a game machine, uh, 3DO has a lot more going for it. That said, the price tag, uh, about $700. I want to look at $700 seven hundred dollars in nineteen ninety three 
double it. A little more than double. Over $1,400. So for $700, you could get... You could get a Nintendo Entertainment System, a Game Boy, a Sega Genesis, a Super Nintendo, and a Game Gear. Probably for roughly the same thing, maybe just a tad bit higher. And that's probably including the tax as well. When you when you look at the system, it, it had one controller port and official controllers had a controller port inside of them so you could daisy chain and play more than just two player games together you could do you could do up to I think like eight players in some games like FIFA Soccer you could do I want to say six players so I'm gonna look at some of the notable titles. It has some good 2D stuff, and some of that is represented pretty well. Uh, 3D is a little rough, and it really started focusing on the games quite a bit and getting actual games out around '95. But that momentum died, and cheaper alternatives like the Sega Saturn and the Sony PlayStation. Especially PlayStation, I mean, it ousted 3DO, and by early 96, it was long gone, the 3DO. And they started making games for other companies. You wonder the what-ifs. They did have an, a successor on potentially being made, but that never came to fruition. So I'm just going to look at some notable games that come to my mind. Or at least look at them. A uh, couple Advanced Dungeons and Dragons games. The first two Alone in the Dark games. Another World, otherwise known as Out of This World here in the States. Balls, which is a 3D fighting game. BC Racers, which is a kart racer. Burning Soldier. Bust a Move, which is the Puzzle Bobble puzzle game. Cannon Fodder, Casper, Corpse Killer, Crash and Burn, which was the first game to come out for 3DO. D, which is a horror game. The Deadliest Encounter, which notably had Tia Carrera in it as the main lead. Demolition Man, I gotta bring this up. Demolition Man was a moderate hit in 93, but the game, they managed to get Sylvester Stallone to be involved in it, and man, think about that for back then, I mean, today, he was, a couple of years ago, he was in that Mortal Kombat 11 game as Rambo, but to do stuff specifically for the game Demolition Man, pretty good. Doom, which is pretty bad. Dragon's Lair. Escape from Monster Manor. Family Feud. There's a couple games from Humongous Entertainment, including Fatty Bear's Birthday Surprise and a couple Putt-Putt games. FIFA International Soccer. Flashback, The Quest for Identity. 
Foes of Ali, which is a boxing game centered around Muhammad Ali. Gex, which debuted on there. The Horde, which was actually developed by Toys for Bob. Seriously. Yeah. Pretty crazy. <laughs> Icebreaker, which is a weird puzzle game. The Incredible Machine. Jammit, which is a basketball game. John Madden Football. Jurassic Park Interactive. Lemmings. What else? Mist, which is a pretty important PC game from 93. Night Trap. Off-World Interceptor. Pebble Beach Golf Links. PGA Tour 96. So, last week I talked about Plumbers Don't Wear Ties. This was on the 3DO. The Puppa Games, like I mentioned. Return Fire. Road and Track Presents The Need for Speed. Road Rash. Actually, another game I forgot about. Uh, see if it was on there. Primal Rage. forgot about mentioning that. Actually, there was some decent support in Japan as well. Because a couple of Konami games were actually on there. Including uh, Police Knots, which is a Hideo Kojima game. Road Rash, like I said. Uh, Samurai Showdown. Shockwave. Shockwave 2. Slam and Jam 95. Space Ace. Star Control 2. Star Wars Rebel Assault. Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo. Which was considered a really good game from back then. One of the best ever for Street Fighter 2. Syndicate. Theme Park. Twisted, the game show. YLA Country Club. Way of the Warrior, which is actually a Naughty Dog game. Wing Commander 3. Wolfenstein 3D. That's about it as far as what I could think of for anything released in the States. I think if it focused on having actual games out and maybe a lower price tag I'm not saying make it 300 bucks and call it a day maybe 400 500 dollars I think people would have appreciated it more and maybe if there was actual games like it was towards the end of its life I think it would have fared better but it's an interesting footnote I mean it's not a bad system I wouldn't call it one of the best either but it's not too bad Definitely hard to find, though, and it might set you back in money. So, unless you're really, really interested, kind of a buy-at-your-own-risk type of situation, unfortunately. But still, not a horrible system. Although, sometime later on, before the end of the year, I'll talk about another system that... Very little in games, and not so... I mean, very few games worth playing. 
So that about wraps it up here. As I said before, this podcast is on podcasters.spotify. You can also find us on Radio Public and Google Podcasts. So head on down to those places. Search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content awaits. So with that, that is episode 164. This is Ryan Sullivan. Hope to hear your listeners on the next podcast. Stay safe. Stay protected. Take care of yourself. Take care, everyone.